another edition of Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Ben Slowey. And joining me on this uh, chilly fall day, um, I have uh, one of my uh, instructors from UWM yeah. uh, who taught my communication and human conflict course that I took my uh, senior year. Um, it was one of my favorite classes that I still uh, have retained much of the uh, the concepts to this day about um, how you, you know, communicate with yourself as well as communicate outside of yourself. Um, and I'm excited to kind of talk to her about things like what we learned in that course and how we're applying it to, in today's political and social climates. So Evelyn Ang, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me. I'm interested to learn about what you've been doing too. Oh, we're just gonna just learn off each other today. Absolutely, isn't that the point? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Yeah, I've been uh, looking forward to this one for a while. Um, uh, I had uh, one of our one of my classmates in that class, uh, Emily Romerl, uh was on the show earlier this year, actually, and uh, we gave you a little shout out. I think, and uh, it gave me the idea to just have you on the show anyway. How, how's your day going so far? Well, I've already been out uh, clearing the gutters in the street. I do like living in a place where they will pick up the leaves. Everybody rakes them to the street, but they don't leave a gutter. So the water backs up behind all the piles and doesn't make it to the drain. So on my end of the block, I was clearing mine and I could see a neighbor on the other end of the block clearing his, but everything runs this way. So him clearing his doesn't do any good if this end of the block doesn't drain. So we were both out there in the rain with our rakes and our implements. Sure. Doing the thing. Doing the, um, the daily uh, seasonal maintenance. Well, yeah, and it's for the whole block because I think we're the only two that are here during the day. Everybody else works somewhere. Yeah. And um, it was raining pretty hard. So we had large puddles. They're gone now. Well, that's good. Um, so you've had a bit of a laborious day thus so far. Well, it's the small things we do as part of a community. Um, but yeah, I've had a pretty good uh, day so far. I've uh, already done my, um, I write for a music blog. So I uh, already uh, got all my writing done for the day this morning. Um, I have you on uh, now and then um i've got a pretty open afternoon that i'll probably i don't know what i'm gonna do today i'll i i don't know i i thought i always kind of like over anticipate like you know everything i have to do every day but uh i don't know maybe i'll just uh lay back and watch a movie or something because uh it is uh spooky season so uh there's some horror movies on my list that i gotta get through that would be good. Time is really blended together. I've had a very loose concept of time since quarantine started. I'm not working like a day to day, like nine to five or anything. So I kind of have an erratic productivity schedule. You know what I mean? Well, if you have the discipline to start the day with writing, that's enough. You know, uh, just sticking to that, it's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's because it also, you know, gets my um, the creative like structures in my brain going like early yeah. on. So yeah. then um, the early, like if you get that done, if, if you start your day with that, then you're likely to have just a more insightful day I have found. Um, it's a good habit. It's a good habit. Do you find that if you skip doing that, it's weird? Yeah, I feel like something's missing. Right. Um, yeah. And. I certainly lacked that uh, for some time when I um, when I had taken a, a, a hiatus from Mr. Nice Guy for a couple months during quarantine because mm -hmm. I was still doing it in person, like at when this year started, and 
I just hadn't really uh, developed the, um, I hadn't overcome my stubbornness for a while to like <laughs> to, to bring it to Zoom. So after a while, I mean, I definitely was missing sort of that interpersonal uh, connectedness and engagement and sense of community um, from um, having these discussions about, you know, who we are and what we do on the show and uh, having it back for the last couple months has, you know, helped you kind of make a little more sense of the world and still fostering like a virtual sense of community, which even that is is worth something. It's it's worth a lot right now because it's all we have. Yeah, it is such an ambiguous and unpredictable time. And uh, quite frankly, more easy to feel alone than ever right now. I have to agree with that. And I think the first few months, you know, April, May, June, were really hard because we didn't know what to do. We had never done anything like this before. Um, I find that we're getting better at it. Um, yeah. And so that part of it is easing up a little bit. Um, being able to connect with people we've known before is easier this way. I think what's harder though is getting to know new people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this this is not how we normally function. Right. Yeah. I, you know? I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Miss my I miss my circles a lot. Oh, man, the circle. We're going to talk about the circles. <laughs> Here's was... the thing. I personally think that it's a very um, rich learning environment. And because conflict is all about human needs what do we need most we need to belong somewhere we need to feel a social space and i can tell you that human beings are social creatures and you can read it in a book but until you really experience it i don't think you've learned anything that's so true it's like getting it's like um, taking a kind of like I think about it in my like journalism degree. Like you can learn all the theory that there is to know, but until you have the practical skills of like learning how to, you know, operate cameras and operate sound equipment and operate, you know, and be in a newsroom environment and learn how to construct a good story and like actually. Like that's why the internships are like so important in in my field. It's like like you said, you can you can read up on all these concepts and theories like all like all you want, but at the end of the day, like it, until there's the practical application, can you really like fully actualize like what yeah. you are what you set out to learn in the first place? I think it was Maya Angelou who said, when you know better do better. So I don't want to, I don't want to throw out theory uh, entirely. Right. Because we, we need that. We need that to structure what it is we do. Yeah. But theory by itself doesn't get us anywhere. Right. It has to be both. Of course, like without theory, there's no structure. Right. And without any structure, we have nothing to act upon. We so yeah, both, both are very much so. So Evelyn, what we talk about on Mr. Nice Guy, we talk love and fear, passion and creativity, um, which I think all of those things are, um, you know, really do all um, take a lot of that practical applications from things we learned in communication and human conflict and mm -hmm. assessing, you know, what like, how we act out of love versus how we act out of fear and how um, those two forces shape our behaviors and uh, feelings and uh, 
experiences and whatever. So that's why, like, you know, I was uh, eager to, like, actually have you as a guest to uh, share some of, like, you know, how love and fear plays into conflict and uh, our interpersonal relationships. But before we do that, uh, let's, uh, let's, let's do a little uh, background, a uh, little, little taking it back here. So Evelyn, where are you originally from? I grew, I was born and raised in central Illinois, Champaign-Urbana. Yes. Um, my father was a professor at the University of Illinois. It was a great place to grow up. Great place to grow up. Great big university in the middle of a small town. Um, we had arts, we had science, we had the veterinary school, we had the run of the place. Uh, great place to grow up, like I said, but not such a great place to stay. There weren't very many jobs. Everything was associated with the university. So um, I had a chance to move up here to Wisconsin, which had been a aspiration for a long time, uh, to take a job, which I did. That was 1982. Oh, wow. Yeah. Probably before you were born. 14 years before I was born. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have to do the math. Anyway, <laughs> it was a great job. It was a small company. They went under and I went back to school. Came to UWM and I got my business degree. And that was all fine and well. And off I went. Um, ended up working for a small company in Brown Deer. We were wildly successful. It was a blast. Um, but I got restless. I uh, had a chance to take a mediation class in Madison, which I did. It was four solid days of uh, mediation, training, theory, all of it. And I loved it. So that kind of gave me a kick in the butt I went to law school. I took the certificate in mediation at Marquette and um, off I went. I was offered the chance to teach your class, the uh, communication and human conflict class, um, just one section. I said, sure, why not? I'll do that. And I like, I like teaching, I really do. I added the circle into the class about three years into my tenure there, and everybody loved it. So I kept it going. It was great. Oh, yes. So that's how I ended up where I am. Very nice. Um, yeah. Um, do you teach uh, any other courses right, like, um, right now besides that class? Right now, we're online, you know. I have four sections of the conflict class online. Mm. It's, uh, we started out with 74 students. We're now down to 72, I think. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and I, I, it's not my strength. It really is not. Um, they're especially, doing work, but I just, it's not me. Well, especially with the circle concept, part of that is it's just sharing physical space and that fosters a, uh, an enhanced sense of trust um, which you don't, you might get like a, a, to an extent through Zoom, but not entirely fully known. And I, I have tried, um, others of my colleagues have tried, uh, both at UWM and in other venues. And you said it earlier, it's just not the same. Uh, I need the presence of other human beings. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, 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 and that was that was why I was afraid to bring the show over Zoom for so long because I was worried that it would dilute the uh, authenticity of that trust and uh, even like demonstrating like social cues, for example, like eye contact and uh, um, body language, like. I've been a, kind of assessing how I'm like, you know, I'm operating 
um, when I'm like looking back and editing these episodes and I'm watching myself just super jittery and like sometimes my attention might like wane a little bit and like I'll have to like hear something twice because I you know can't really engage with a computer screen as much as I can when like there's a physical body right. a couple feet away from me and like I can like really like when I can see your whole body you know I can see like how you are really not only like verbally but also physically articulating something I do believe well different people have different levels of this I think um but I do believe there is a sixth sense that we get from each other uh, when we're physically present. But, you know, your videos are viewed in video form. Yeah. So I think it's okay. Yeah. It has yeah. been. It has been. Um, obviously, like, it'll be nice to share space with people again in the future but this does work it it still is uh adequate for the show's concept well better than nothing yeah definitely and same with your course um you know there's still like one thing that's annoying though are technical issues <laughs> yeah the lagging you know especially when someone's in the middle of saying something. So how long have you been teaching communication and human conflict? Like I said, it was my first course at UWM, one section. Uh, I started in spring of 2003. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 Quite a while. And then I taught, um, then they asked me to take on the introduction to mediation class. Um, and then I added a freshman seminar. Imagine hitting my class first semester fall of your freshman year. Yeah, that is that is. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I would have had the uh, emotional maturity for that. Oh. <laughs> You either sink or swim. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, but, you know, many of those students have gone on to do amazing things. So um, I don't think I, I hurt anybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it, and that's the thing is like, you don't really have anything to lose with the, the courses, like uh, lessons and concepts. Like there's nothing to lose other than that you're you're basically being um, given the platform to be vulnerable to whatever extent you're comfortable being vulnerable. And my hope is that if you push through that vulnerability, you'll find what is authentic. Yeah. yeah. Um, that has always been my goal. Different people get there at different times. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So how do you think love and fear play into interpersonal conflict? I know that's kind of a broad question, but uh, um, since we're here, figured it would be appropriate to ask. I think fear has a clearer meaning for people. It is felt more strongly. I think love takes a little longer. Yeah. Fear is more like uh, initial, yeah. Fear is like right in your face right now. Yeah. And it takes discipline to, um, again, let the fear be real, not run away from it, um, acknowledge it for what it is, and then push through it. And that's what a lot of people aren't doing now. They just stay in the fear. Yeah. Um, 
And I guess the most important question is, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of losing? Maybe that's where the love really is. Yeah, yeah that's, yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, yeah, like <clears throat> I learned in my comm classes that, you know, like anger is the most accessible emotion there is. You know, in our society, we're taught that it's acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. And like whoever is angrier and has a voice that projects farther or is like ultimately what dominates. We mistake that for being powerful. Yeah. Ain't that the truth? Ain't that the truth? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's why people are conditioned to, because when someone operates out of that viscerally negative charged energy, it's easier to influence people. And, uh, yeah. and you, you uh, apply that to politicians who uh, just talk out of bluntness and uh, vagueness and just emotionally charged uh, statements that could that more easily generalize people rather than uh, be said with nuance, then it's easier for them to appeal to people that, you know, don't always have like the willpower to think as critically as maybe they should or otherwise have been have been uh, educated to. And that's why people like our president have uh, such um, followers uh, because it, he's he's easily he easily appeals to people like that because I like to use the word hooked. He, he knows how to hook people at a visceral level. You're right. Um, at an emotional level. It doesn't require much thought. It doesn't require any thought. It's just a hook. And he's got you. Right? Um, you have to ask, what again, what are people afraid of? Because he's... He's learned how to manipulate them. Yeah. I guess part of it is that too many people have been conditioned to accept whatever is given. Yeah. And on an emotional level, they, they feel threatened if anyone would ask them to question that. too easy it's just too easy yeah yeah and uh, that's why i mean like i don't think i really keep anyone who still supports our president in my personal circle um but, but that being said in the past um those that i have interacted with that have supported him or have at least um you know uh, agreed with uh, his rhetoric or sentiments. I've found patterns of typically it's people that play out that are that play out of what is convenient for their narratives or their personal world experiences um, because they they haven't had to challenge anything that like you know they've personally formed biases about um they have they're they're afraid to go out of their comfort zone if you will and uh, think about um big picture um political implications rather shallow and it doesn't mean that like you know and i know that you know evelyn you you are a very um you know you approach um, all, especially in, you know, through teaching communication, part of that is 
is carrying a strong sense of empathy wherever you go. And uh, that's, it's, that's always important. And, you know, that's why, like, speaking out of empathy, I can say that, like, I don't think that all of his supporters may inherently have evil hearts. Although I will say that they're, they may not have acquired engagement of like going out of their comfort zone enough to understand why his rhetoric and uh, actions, how they're problematic to people that they may not have interacted with before in their lives. And that's why, you know, that's why education is a virtue. Here's what my experience has been. And I want to take himself, him out of it because it's not him. Yeah, he's he just, is, he's a symptom. He's simple. a symbol, right. He's a symbol, he's a symptom, if you will. Um, and it's too easy to label people and then dismiss them, okay? I do think we all have our filters. We all pick and choose what we want to believe. And we will um, dismiss what doesn't fit our chosen belief system. And I see it happening a lot, okay? What, what I find both interesting and depressing is how easily we have fallen into those labels. It's white people and it's black people. And by the way, some people got left out of that discussion. Yeah, right? absolutely. Uh, it's like, what happened? What happened? Uh, we're not people anymore. We're caricatures of people. And I will pose you this. When I see white supremacists marching along and doing their thing and parading around with their weapons and their confederate flags and shit. yeah well they have a uniform don't they yeah pretty much depending by on which, yeah by which they can tell who's in their group and who isn't yeah. they too are reacting out of a marginalized paradigm they have more in common with black people yeah. and poor people than they think they do, right? So here's where I go. Who benefits from all of this division? Who benefits from us fighting amongst ourselves? The ruling class. That's one way to look at it, yeah. But in the meantime, all this energy is being expended, you know, um, Black Lives Matter and defund the police. And we're not making the progress we want to make because in large part, we all live in our own little echo chambers, right? We aren't listening to people who have different points of view and we're just as guilty of it as they are and so the divisions persist i think we can do better it's not easy but i do think it's necessary yeah yeah and that's like what you think about when you know like, I think about that a lot. I try to retain that mantra of like, I can be doing better. I can continue empathizing with people that might not be where I'm at or I might not be where they're at. Right. Um, and um, it is so hard, especially with the isolated, yeah. culture we live in right now where 
many of us are have had to spend more time like by ourselves like in you know without our normal um normal catalysts as well as um continuing to have to like adapt frustratingly uh adapt our lives to what will be the new normal when you know uh, this pandemic is over when this election is over um and people are just very uh they feel betrayed they feel more emotionally charged than ever they feel very uh kind of unwilling to uh hold back from saying how they feel and i don't blame anyone you know it's i'm not i'm i'm not excuse me i'm guilty of that myself i ended up maybe uh, um being very harsh on people over Even the summer being human what we're going through is a massive grief we're scared we're angry we're grieving some of us are grieving literally but most of us are grieving for a life that doesn't exist right now we want our lives to go back to the way they were maybe they will maybe they won't for some people they won't for many people more and more they won't so the process is about learning how we can do best with what we have it isn't easy it isn't easy it hurts and yeah we're trying to do this pretty much in isolation that's not good okay? yeah so what you're doing with these video chats and other ways i think it does help it has yeah yeah um i think um so tying in a concept we talked a lot about in um communication and human conflict was something that i remember i remember when emily was here we discussed it a bit because she had like also um taken it with her uh in her in like what she does now um but it's something that i think is very important to revisit and that is how you when you are in conflict with others kind of when we were talking about earlier about how anger is so easily you know is kind of your default emotion the fight or flight response if you will um but you view somebody as an object and that was the one of the biggest takeaways from that course was you you uh somebody as an obstruction to to getting what you want and i will go even further right now in the in the in the context of political and social division right now not only do you view are we viewing people as objects but as obstacles and uh, that's a dangerous uh territory to uh, um to to venture into when we are just by by nature so um divided scared frightened um anxious um in in a profound despair um is viewing people as obstacles to progressing forward and to reaching some semblance of normalcy because that is like that obviously like amplifies how strongly everyone feels right now um i mean I, and i'll take an example right now i mean i have been careful about going out you know uh careful about seeing my friends you know i've seen some of my friends like i've been out a couple times in the public and i mean i always wear a mask but i still try to follow the protocols as best i can um but i still see on my social media um i still see 
people going about their lives like nothing's really going on. I still see the bars packed up downtown. I still see people I know and care about doing things that I am a bit disappointed in. And I think of like, my initial thought is like, you guys are the ones that are, you know, making that are like ruining this for everyone else. You guys are the reason the pandemic is going to keep like, is going to be so much longer than it has to be. Like you guys are the ones like setting us back. Like that is what I think initially when I see like, you know, people out at bars or not wearing masks or not social distancing. But then I have to remind myself, like, you know, people are trying to cling on to what they've been comfortable with, with what they have received closure and validation and comfort and escapism through. People are trying to cling on to that. And for some people, it's very easy to just be like, oh, we can't do that anymore. We're going to follow all the rules and not make any mistakes. And people that do that, good for them but at the same time like they may be failing to empathize with people that are having a very hard trouble <laughs> adapting with the way society has to look right now and I mean it is still I still I do still think it is irresponsible for people and unempathetic on their part to be careless and uh, you know not following uh, safety protocols like but I also the sense of empathy in me still gets it where it's like I get you don't you're still trying to cling on to like the little normal that you can it doesn't and, make it right yeah, and you hope nothing serious comes of their choices yeah that's all you can do yeah you know you can speak your mind I would say something but in the end the only person you can control is yourself say hmm, I don't think that's a good idea and I don't think I'm going to play this game yeah. you know and, uh, they, and others can choose to take into account what you're saying or they can choose not to and that's up to you to like whether or not you still want to engage with that person exactly exactly unfortunately in this case we're talking about choices that have consequences for other people it's not like the choice of wearing a motorcycle helmet or not wearing a helmet. Um, this one is different. Right, right. Or drinking. Like, I can tell you I've been drinking a lot more since quarantine started, but that's something that's affecting me. Um, I mean, I'm still like, it's not out of control or anything. I'm just drinking more than I normally was before, but, um, but, you know, I still have to discipline myself before my, my, uh, that decision of mine might affect others. And well, maybe a stronger metaphor would be drinking and driving. That's, yeah, that's true. Which I don't do. <laughs> I, which I don't even have a car. So. <laughs> but yeah, that is a selfish, a very selfish thing to do because you're directly putting others in danger exactly. and the same in a different way but same principle no more is if you're yeah is if you're going out not wearing a mask or if you are still partying with a bunch of people and not well, if you're partying with a bunch of people i hope you're not going to go visit your 90 year old grandfather that's right. Yeah. And at the very least, if you're exposed, go get tested. Go get tested. Yeah. I got tested for the eighth time this week. Like, <laughs> go get tested. It's, yeah. we have yeah. to consider what is in our control and what isn't because, exactly. you know, we can, you know, we can talk all day about how, I, like what you were saying earlier, these poor, working class white people that are joining racist and white supremacist factions right now, they are scared. They are terrified of 
their idea of America or their idea of home being threatened. And uh, I mean, I think it's horrible and uh, disgusting and frankly, very disturbing, but recognize, but like when you have the emotional capacity to realize like they're scared or they're, they're frightened, they're being cowards right now because instead of, instead of like, you know, recognize like going out of um, their comfort zone to empathize with um, people outside of of their zone they're they're choosing to act within said comfort zone in a way that actively puts others in danger the only answer for that is to reconnect with people on a one-to-one basis you cannot do it as groups um look behind the labels and try to find the human being there because when you objectify someone else you're actually giving up part of your humanity your capacity the only way to deal with it that's where the love comes in that's where the love comes in that's where community comes in. Because I can tell you, I went through like some massive re-education this year and joining the Party for Socialism and Liberation. Um, and, oh. you know, we have, we do have a vision. We do have a mission statement. We do have ideals that we live in principle to. But I'm not going to... Um, vilify anybody who might not, um, you know, fall directly in line with what it means to me to be a comrade. Um, because, you know, I, I like earlier today, I just saw one of my comrades getting in an argument about voting for the PSL candidate for president versus voting for Biden. And I was seeing this argument between people that I love and care about, like on both sides of the argument of like, you know, oh, like fuck the two party system, like Biden doesn't care about any of us either. But, oh, no, we have to work in the system. We we have to work through in the system in order to change it. And that is a that is a source of uh, debate, constant debate. But. I know that we want the same thing. We ultimately want the same end goal. And that's where the love is more important than ever to, um, to be applied is that like, just because, you know, you might have a different philosophy on how to uh, achieve that goal doesn't mean that like, if you don't agree exactly with like what I'm, with my method of doing so, like, that means that, you know, you're, you're a problem or you are an object because they're not. And I have to remember, remind myself that every single day as even though I got intensely radicalized this year, I'm still, you know, like anyone who wants the same thing at the end of the day, like everyone who wants the same egalitarian, equitable, sustainable, and just just society where everyone is recognized and accounted for. Anyone who falls in line with that is has a good philosophy in my book, or at least is has is good in my book, despite maybe some slight deviances. Um, it's the people that don't want the same thing at the end of the day that are the obstacle or, you know, are the ones that we should be worried about. But they are, but they're acting out of their own fear and not out of love. The thing to remember is that everyone walks, everyone walks a different path. Even those you think you have a lot in common with come with different experiences, different backgrounds, 
um, sometimes different vocabulary, okay? In the end, I honestly believe everyone wants, everyone wants, needs same things, oh, yeah. right? They want their families to be safe, food, shelter, clothing. They want a good life. They don't want to be afraid. Differences come in how we're going to get there. Okay. And you bring up almost in passing something that's going on in the background while we're fighting amongst ourselves. Our planet needs help. Oh, yeah. Our planet is crying for help right now. We need to change what we're doing. That's why I'm hesitant to say that life will go back to the way it was. I don't want it to go back to the way it was. This is how we got in this trouble in the first place, okay? And if you don't see the connection between uh, pandemics, and by the way, this is not gonna be the last one, and what we've done to our planet, you're missing an important connection. Yeah. Who knows? What's going to happen next? The viruses that are coming out of the permafrost as it thaws out, who knows? The animals that are uh, now homeless in the Amazon rainforest running amok, or what's left of the rainforest. Parts of the ocean we haven't explored that. Yeah. That yeah, so maybe this is just a dress rehearsal for what's going to come on down the line. You never know. And that was a huge thing that Bernie Sanders talked about. Like even from the first uh, his first presidential run, he would talk about how the greatest national security threat we have is climate change, and. It, you know, because, and he said that because climate change ultimately is something that affects the entire globe and not just the U.S. There is a Pentagon, um, the Pentagon has done a lot of work in this area, and I don't know if they have a, an official task force. There was a book published about their findings, and it's not new. Um, the military knows they've been making plans, contingencies for it. Um, climate change, it's not only real, it's affecting all of us. It's affecting our economies, it's affecting our social structures, <clears throat> everything. It's affecting us domestically. <sighs> I mean, I know firsthand from experience, my parents were uh, garden center owners growing up. Um, they had a garden center for 30 years. The weather shifts in a matter of 20 years. The weather, the seasons are getting deviated from, altered. The weather events are more extreme. And ultimately, it did tarnish uh, their, um, their revenue. Um, <laughs> You know, if you're if you grew up in a garden center, you've seen the climate charts. We were in um, zone five. We're still in zone five, but zone five has moved further north. I just recently saw a new climate chart for planting bulbs and things like that. And zone five used to be this little sliver up the lake. It's bigger now, and it's further north. Mm. So I thought that was interesting. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I'm going to get political for a sec, but capitalism is incompatible with human life. That is something that I think we really need to acknowledge on a, like, in, a, in a big picture uh, way of working towards end goals, which 
like we mentioned earlier. Might have a little uh, deviances in philosophy for some, but that ultimately has to be the end goal is that mass production, imperialism, um, you know, uh, harmful environmental business practices, business practices that are forcing people off their land, forcing people into refugee camps, murdering people, to be quite blunt about it, as well, yes, of course, and um, putting people in categories based on how much wealth they have. Um, there's this concept we learn in, about in the ESL called dialectical materialism. And it's essentially, um, the whole concept in kind of uh, simple terms is basically that as long as there is a class society where there's discrepancies in resources and materials um, and human rights, as long as there's discrepancies in that, there will always be world conflict. And I think it's true. I think history has uh, reflected that. And uh, we have to think about the love that we can express on an individual level, um, starting in from the smallest scale of our personal circles up to our local circles. And uh, basically moving from the ground up of how we can share love and community and um, togetherness in such a devilish time of isolation and loneliness and confusion. Like that is ultimately like what is so crucial right now, because something you said earlier where you're talking about, you know, the, these, racist white people that are coming out of the woodwork right now. Many of them are very poor too. <laughs> Many of them have, or these people that still support capitalism for some reason are often people that have no capital. We are all poor. We are all the working class. Some of us in the working class have uh, 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 more resources to. In the working class are not working right now. That that's right. Like there are two. People <laughs> always say like it's kind of the, you know, it's often a, a humor device. But there's two kinds of people in this world. <laughs> Essentially, there's the working class, and there's the ruling class. That is probably the biggest level of you know, social, political, and communal awareness to have in the way we are assessing how we are perceiving ourselves in relation to others, in relation to the world, in relation to what others' needs are, and in relation to how people are behaving right now. Um, we have to analyze like how we can ultimately like unite for a more egalitarian way of life that where everyone like mentioned earlier are accounted for and their needs are met. Community has to include everyone. Yeah. Even those we might disagree with. Even those who might aim to hurt us, it has to include everyone. We have the tools. We have the tools to make that happen. But it is going to take work. It is easy to divide ourselves up. It's harder to recreate the community we want. But we can do it. I believe we can do it. I wouldn't do the work I'm doing if I didn't think we could do it. I think you do a wonderful job at it. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Still more work to do. There's still more work to do. Of course. And um, 
yeah, I, I think that um, bringing it all back full circle to the course and the circle, it starts like it, it starts in, in literally the smallest scale of sharing a room with um, others that are contextually like in proximity to you yeah. and uh, getting to know them and their story and uh, how they feel. Um, and that is hard. It, we've had to alter that because of the pandemic, but any semblance of that sense of community where you can still hear from people, check on people and work with people, then, you know, you're reminded that we are all human beings. Yeah. Authentic ones at that, that, you know, all ultimately, as you said, are crying for help in some way, seeking something. And even the ones that we are vilifying right now, if you can act out of love for those people in some way of like, hey, I may not like you, you may have done horrible things or you may think horrible things, but I still believe that you deserve to have health care, for example. That's right. one like little example. Or you deserve, you still deserve to be able to vote or you still deserve to have housing. We have not thought in those ways. It's kind of the way our culture has become so emotionally yes. um, shifted in such an emotional um, um, attitude of you're either with us or against us. Right, and that's fear. That's, that's fear. So Evelyn, as we're, uh, as we're winding down here, as we're closing out, I ask everyone the same two questions. Okay. What keeps you up at night? Um, what keeps me up at night? I worry about my parents. They're far away. They're in their 90s. Um, what's going to happen when they pass on? The family won't be the same. And it won't be the same. Um, I worry about my downspouts. I worry about my house. Those are kind of minor things that keep me up at night. But mostly I worry about my parents. I worry about mine too. Um, my parents are more your age, but I still worry about them. Um, they just moved to a different state, so, you know. Always concerned of about them from afar. It's hard to be away. Yeah. What puts you to sleep, though? A uh, nice glass of wine. I read before I go to bed, so I may read a bit, and that kind of puts me in the mind frame to sleep. And my body has developed its own clock so i'm basically starting to fall asleep around eight nine and i'm i'm gone but then i wake up early so that's okay a good way to be i think if you can naturally wake up early it's um it's it i don't know it, it like just being productive and being up and at it like you know, in the early dawn hours is a special sense of. I, I like, I like the early morning. It's a, a good time. Yeah. Um, it's most to, still. Everything is so still and yeah. peaceful. Yeah. It's quiet. It's a time to reflect. It's a time to be grateful. And that's a good way to start the day. And you feel you have more control over your surroundings. When Maybe. You're, <laughs> yeah, but hopefully. When you are up before your surroundings. Um, yeah, well, Evelyn, thank you so much for being on the show. It's so good to see you again, Ben. It's great to see you as well. 
and uh, I really enjoyed this this conversation. Um, for everyone watching, love and fear. Um, I think that this episode was, uh, you know, a uh, a, a, a very um, ideal one for the, the show's theme and a great reminder of like how we act, how we behave, how we feel, and how we think. Yes, it's all starts in here after all. But um, please, uh, please reflect on, you know, not to do your best not to view others as an object, but as an authentic human being that has needs just like you do. Yeah. Thank you Thanks, again. Man. We'll see you next time.